I'm Mindy Abair, and you're listening to Rock at Night. at Rock at Night, and I'm here today with Mindy Abair, saxophonist, singer, songwriter, and she works in so many different genres now, jazz, blues, pop, rock. She is a two-time Grammy nominee, 2014 Best Pop Instrumental Album, 2015 Best Contemporary Instrumental Album from her LP, Wild Heart which features a lot of her famous friends. We'll talk about that during the interview. She's been on American Idol, The Late Show with David Letterman. She's played with The Roots on The Tonight Show, toured with Aerosmith. So much to go over. You're just everything. I mean, and and now you're even in the the wine business uh, with Reserve Tastings. You've written a book called How to Play Madison Square Garden. There's so much to talk about with you, Mindy. I don't even know where to begin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. Uh, You know, we've been friends a long time and I just love what you do. So I think it's fun to, you know, sit down with your friends and and, uh, talk and, and have fun. So thank you for having me. Well, it's, it's a pleasure having you. And I thought this would be kind of like a girl talk uh hour and uh that's kind of what we want to talk about especially since you have a song called a pretty good for a girl you have a website that's (laughs) called pretty good for a girl you're all about female empowerment and uh so let's begin with that uh first of all you play the saxophone that's not really considered to be a quote girl instrument (laughs) (laughs) no it's not uh but you know what no one ever told me it was odd for a girl to play a saxophone until it was way too late uh i was in love with it and it had become uh just a, a huge part of who i was and i look back to fourth grade band and i you know, literally walked through the door and my band instructor, Ann Reynolds, had put all these instruments out on the ground and she just said, pick one that looks cool to you and go back to your seat and we'll learn how to play them. And I literally grew up on the road with my dad's band. My dad had this band called The Entertainers uh, and it was this blue-eyed soul band, super high energy. My dad was the saxophonist. And I would watch him from the time I was born, uh, just, you know, shake and shimmy and rock that sax. He just looked like he was having a blast every night playing. And I wanted to have that much fun. So I picked that saxophone up and I brought it back to my seat. And you know what? Uh, It's a lot of years later and it's never let me down. It's awesome. (laughs) That was here in St. Petersburg? 
Yeah, yeah. I grew up right in St. Pete. I mean, the first four years of my life, we were just on the road. We were, you know, moving around. But as every band does, my father's band broke up and we moved back here to St. Pete. So it was St. Pete, Northside Christian School, fourth grade band. <laughs> wow. Man, it was destiny. <laughs> that you it would- was. That it's destiny that you it's in your blood that you would have to be playing rock and blues and, and jazz and uh, all that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I grew up with a lot of different music around me. And, and I think that looking back, that was a huge influence on who I became. I mean, my father played in the soul band. My grandmother was an opera singer. Cool. At, just stereotypical, huge woman, huge personality. Uh, And then my father went from playing soul to putting together rock bands. And he would put together, I mean, eight bands a year that would tour uh, the country. So I would always sit in their practice rooms, you know, and just listen and, you know, and love it. And then MTV came along. I wanted to be you know, Anne and Nancy Wilson from Heart or the Go-Go's or Tina Turner. I wanted to play like Clarence Clemens from Bruce Springsteen's band. You know, it, it was a really interesting way to grow up to just have music surrounding me that, that was so different. So I didn't grow up with some kind of, uh, you know, idea that, oh, I play saxophone, I should be a jazz player. Um, like everyone has told me uh, for the last, you know, uh, lifetime. I wasn't aware of that, so I didn't become <laughs> your father's jazz player as a saxophonist. So when you were growing up, you probably were around, uh, shall I say, celebrities or uh, other musicians that might be famous. I mean, that's normal for you, right? Growing up, I was never around anyone famous. I mean, I grew up in St. Petersburg, Florida. It's not the, the musical mecca of the universe you know I I now have a bunch of friends from living in LA for a lot of years they grew up with celebrity you know they went to high school with people who became huge actors or you know really notable musicians Uh, but for me I didn't grow up with that at all you know I grew up being a fan of people I saw on television on MTV or who I heard on the radio I was a total radio girl I listened you know, 24 seven and, and just, just had fun, um, you know, being a fan. Uh, but for me, I didn't really meet anyone famous until, you know, college and beyond. So I just knew I wanted to play. I knew I loved music. Um, my, you know, my father was a musician and my grandmother was a musician, but they never pushed me. And I thought that was really cool. You know, we, we lived in this awesome little small town. They didn't want to push me to go into what they went into. You know, my father would always say, look, this isn't sexy. This is not a rose garden. You know, all you see is what's amazing on television or what you hear on the radio. And it sounds and looks incredible, but it's not an easy road. It's not an easy business. And especially for a woman. And I didn't know what he meant by that. Um, Thankfully, I just knew I loved to play and that drove me. Was there a moment in your career when you realized being a woman was different? What, what are some of your early experiences? You know, I was so lucky that I, 
I was just in this beautiful bubble of people telling me, you can be whatever you want to be and you can do whatever you want to do. If you become excellent at something, uh, you know, there were no barriers in my growing up. You could be white, black, gay, straight, a woman, a man, short, tall, you know, whatever. And if you really put your time in and you cared about it and you loved someone, something, it was all possible. And I love that. I had total hippie parents and grew up in that hippie environment that it was peace, love, and, you know, well, saxophone for me. <laughs> um, but the first time I really had any inclination that it was a different playing field, I so wanted to be in the Florida Allstate Jazz Band. And I actually made it into that jazz band. I was the first chair alto sax in the jazz band. And so uh, University of Miami asked me, hey, would you come audition for us? We have a jazz program. And I was like, oh my God, you know, the big city, Miami. So, you know, we drove down and, and I went down to audition and I was so excited. I was 17 years old and just, you know, this is it. I'm going to go to college for music. I'm going to play. And I walked into the saxophone professor's room and all ready to play. And he looked at me and he goes, look, I just want to tell you, girls don't make it at this school. So I'm going to let you into the education department. That's totally fine. But I won't let you into the jazz department. And I was just, I, I just stood there. I, like the wind was totally let out of my sails. I just had no idea that anyone would feel that way. You know, 17 years old, I was just was bummed. He, was he an old fart type or something? I mean... He was the saxophone professor there. So, you know, yeah, he was the establishment. Um, and I tried to change his mind, you know, I talked to him and just said, what if I play for you? What if I play and change your mind? And, and, you know, I'd like to be in this department. And he goes, you can play. It won't change my mind. So I gave him my best shot. I played, but he did not let me into the jazz department. Um, he did let me into the education department and, uh, I told him to take a hike. <laughs> um, I did not go to that school. I ended up going to Berkeley College of Music where I was 3% of the population. Women were 3% of the population of that school, Berkeley College of Music in Boston. And they loved the fact that I was a woman and they loved the fact that I came from a different musical background and that I was looking for different things and it was, it was really cool to see someone look at diversity as something that was a plus instead of, well, you can't do this. I'm going to tell you what you can do. So I just figured one day I would go back and I would look at that professor and go, you made a mistake. I've done this and this and this, and you should have let me into your school. And, uh, and that happened a couple of years ago. I'm surprised he's still alive. <laughs> yep. yep, still there. And uh, hopefully he's letting in more women now. <laughs> wow. Like, I take that. <laughs> well, you know what? I think we all take 
bad things that happen in our lives or, or things that are setbacks. And we, we can use them in different ways. You know, I could have taken that as just, oh, okay, I'm going to have a chip on my shoulder and I'm just going to, you know, think the world is against me and whatever. But for me, I took it as this quest that, you know, I had the power to change people's minds about what a woman was capable of or what a woman should look like or sound like or what music a woman should make. Uh, you know, so I, I looked at it as a, a cool quest every night when I was in a band that, you know, I was going to change those misconceptions about what women were in music or beyond. So in a sense, you felt like I'm going to prove you wrong. And it, it, it basically emboldened you to try harder and, and show him. And, and indeed you did years later. What a story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I look back and I just think, that's cool. I had a fire lit under me that I, I had something to prove. Like, oh, yes, I can. Oh, I can do this. <laughs> Don't try and stop me. So, it, you know, it's a... It's a, a cool thing to see people's minds change through the years of what, you know, what women are and can be in the music business. Mm -hmm. Now, after you graduated, you went out to California, correct? And yeah. that was where you, I guess you did busking, you did everything right on the, on the streets, just trying to get your, your big break. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, being a, a female there, I mean, were you treated any differently in the corporate business and just the music industry period? You know, moving to LA is, is a, a huge deal. Uh, you know, I had come from a very small town, St. Petersburg, and, and then gone to college in Boston, which was a bigger city, obviously, but you know, you're a student and you're learning and you're just in that environment of playing all the time. It's not the real world. You're, you're in this microcosm of learning and, and being around people who are in the same place as you. To jump into Los Angeles, for me, there was this huge realization that whether I was a woman or a man or anything, they didn't really need me. You know, there was enough, there were enough players of every instrument that existed in LA that were amazing at what they did. Just incredible musicians. They didn't need any more of us. Uh, and that was a bit daunting to realize, oh my gosh, I've got to find my place in this business that doesn't necessarily need me. And uh, so that was the first thing. But then, yes, I did realize uh, that being a woman it was a different thing. I remember walking into a jam session because, you know, at first you don't know anyone. I didn't know anyone. So I would look up where the jam sessions were and go and just try and sit in so I could meet people. And this one particular jam session, the guy just turned me down all night. You know, hey, could I sit in? You know, it's a jam session. I'm seeing, you know, 20 people sit in over the night. And, you know, could I sit in? I play saxophone. And he would just be like, no. No, and finally at the end of the night i mean it's almost the last song and i went up and i just said come on you've put me off all night like let me play and he looked at me and he goes you tell whoever wants to sit in to go sit in i don't even think he thought that i was a player you know and looking back i probably looked more like a cheerleader than a saxophonist i mean i'll be honest <laughs> but i went and sat in and i met a bunch of people that night 
and they were super cool to me. The moment I played was the moment that it all became a level playing field and there was mutual respect and I started to make friends and, and that would snowball. But, you know, those initial things of, wow, uh, you know, people do judge you differently based on your appearance. You just have to fight past those, you know? That's it. I mean, here you were young, cute, like you said, like a cheerleader girl, you're petite, <laughs> you're blonde, and they're thinking she doesn't play. Right. And it's like you have to keep proving yourself, proving yourself to other people over and over and over that I really do play and don't judge me by my appearance. I mean, that seems to be the trend. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I, I talk to my girlfriends who are musicians and who are very, uh, you know, accomplished and, and incredible and, and uh, have made a name for themselves. And that we all have the same stories that we really did have to be more professional, that we did have to be on time, dressed well, you know, uh, paying attention to everything, knowing everything, you know, knowing every bit of music. You have to be at a higher level to, you know, be recognized and to, you know, be hired again and again, you know, unless you're making your own. You know, I decided I wanted to be a band leader. I wanted to be the artist. I wrote my own songs. I was, you know, I was an instrument uh, player that was a front instrument and a singer. So it made sense for me to make my own and not wait for people to hire me. You know, so that was always my inclination to be a solo artist. Then it doesn't matter. Now I'm judging you. <laughs> you know, now I'm the band leader. Like, hmm, should I hire you or should I not? Do you look the part? Do you not? Do you not? So a lot of the the really successful women I know have become band leaders and have run their own show, and I think that's such a cool thing. I guess you're in the driver's seat. It's just like uh, women that have their own record label. In fact, you pretty good for a girl. That's, that's a label. That's mine. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's nice to not have to, you know, bend down or, or take crap or whatever, you know, from other people having, you know, try to impress them. It's, it's a whole different ball of wax, but when you're, I guess, trying to make it in the industry, you have to follow the rules or whatever. Um, you know, I think it's up to each of us to find our place in our own industry. We all, you know, come at it from different angles. We all want different things, whether we want to be a side musician or whether we want to be a songwriter for other people or ourselves or a solo artist. But I, I think that we all kind of have to find our own way of, of what is comfortable for us. And I, I know I struggled early on when I was in college, uh, I used to wear men's suits and I'd just dress like one of the guys because I wanted to be respected like one of the guys. I kind of felt that people were looking at my legs more than they were listening to what I was playing. And I didn't want that. That's not where I was coming from. I wanted to be respected like one of the guys. So I went too far in the other direction. Um, and I see a lot of women playing those games, trying to find, you know, who we are and trying to find our place in what is definitely a man's world in the music industry. But boy, there was a time that I 
stopped trying to prove and I stopped trying to fit in. And I don't know what snapped. I don't know what changed, but I, I felt this sense of self and I felt this peace about, wait, I'm a woman and I like makeup and I like wearing, you know, fun clothes and girly stuff. And I'm gonna write different songs than the guys. I'm gonna play differently. And wow, I'm just gonna be that. And if they like it, cool. And if they don't, whatever, I'm, I'm just being me. That is when things started opening up for me. And it, it's a drag that it, it took a while for me to kind of find that place, but uh, we all have to find it and we all have to go through our own kind of, uh, you know, journey to find it. And boy, what a nice thing to just be yourself and, and make music and, and be happy with yourself. Wow. That's, that's a testament to hanging in there. That was actually one of my yeah. questions. If you actually had to dress down or dress masculine or wear a suit just to be taken seriously, you, where you really can't, like you said, wear makeup, wear lashes, wear whatever, you know, wigs, and the way you want to look. You're, you're trying to look the way other people want you to look rather than the way you want to. But then when you, it's so much easier to be yourself rather than try and be something you think other people want you to be. And, uh, you know, now, and, and for a long time now in my career, most of my career now, I've been myself and it's been awesome to find bands and find musicians and find situations that fit me and that are right for me. Aerosmith is a perfect example. Touring with Aerosmith, I was hired because Stephen loved the fact that I was a woman. Stephen Tyler thought it was so cool that I could go out there and rock out and kind of be one of the guys, but not be one of the guys. You know, the same with Duran Duran. When I joined Duran Duran, the tour with them, those guys love art and they love fashion and they love, you know, the, the kind of artsy, you know, kind of bigger than life thing that they create. They're all about the music, but I fit into that because I was that same mindset and we loved to create a look and a presence and, you know, it all fit. Now, those gigs couldn't have happened if I wasn't being true to who I was. So really, amongst musicians, everybody is pretty much open to diversity. There's equality. It's really the corporate structures, the business part, you know, or in education, the professors they seem to be the ones that aren't accepting or perhaps people in the audience that are, shall I say, chauvinistic. It's old <laughs> people. It's yeah, not I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can, you know, put it down to a certain, you know, uh, it's teachers or it's this or it's, you know, administrators. I think that, look, a lot of people grew up with a lot of different belief systems, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's you're racist or you're misogynist or, you know, you just have different belief systems, however you grew up and whatever you end up doing for a living, it's going to affect that. And you're going to bring those belief systems, you know, with you. Um, but I really feel like 
there are so many incredible women out there right now that are doing so many amazing things. Uh, you know, it, the time is now that, that women are, you know, are and should be taken as seriously as men. There are women scientists that are changing the world. There are women athletes that are incredible. You know, I watch Serena Williams play tennis and I'm just like, oh my God, you know, and there are women doctors, there are, you know, mothers out there raising amazing kids. So I, I really think that, yeah, it, it just depends on how you grew up um, with how you're going to believe going forward. But boy, it's 2020. We need to lay down those old belief systems, no matter what you do and, you know, and take people at who they are and what they do and, and uh, you know, what human beings they are. Out of curiosity, when you were getting into the business, did you see any pay disparity between men and women? Do you think you were paid the same as perhaps a male saxophonist? I definitely see pay discrimination, mostly on the business side. You know, I have a lot of friends that are women in the music business and I would see my friends get paid a whole hell of a lot less than men who had the same jobs. And that, you know, is, that's just unfair. I mean, there's no reason that as an A&R person, a woman should get paid 30% less than a man. Uh, there's no reason that, you know, any of us should. And I'm really, uh, um, I'm just so happy to see in recent years that women have really fought for it. And they've, you know, they, we have stood up for ourselves and said, this is not okay. We have different strengths than you guys. We're going to run things differently. We are equally as capable. We are equally as powerful. And, you know, you need to respect that. And, and I love that. You know, I was... Uh, I was a part of the Recording Academy for many years as uh, an elected leader. I was on the Board of Governors. I was the president of the Los Angeles chapter of the Recording Academy, and I was a national trustee for them over the span of 10 years. And I watched that organization really make a priority to, you know, give women a platform where they could flourish. They realized that it was harder for women to be in the music business. They realized that it was harder in a business level for women to flourish and keep their jobs and get paid the same. So I, I love it, you know, without being unfair, they really understood that women weren't being represented as men and really have tried to create, you know, a parity for women and men in the in the music business. And I, I just applaud that. And I know a lot of other businesses are, are taking that stance as well. And that's what we should all be doing. You're involved with, uh, well, you have your website pretty good for a girl based on your song, which is based <laughs> on your experiences. I think I saw on Instagram, you were at NAM in January at, at NAMM. Uh, yeah. yeah. And aren't you involved in some kind of women's uh, organization there or something? Didn't you do some speaking? Yeah, so there's oh, an awards, there's an awards show called the She Rocks Awards. Okay, that's it. 
And it's such a cool, cool program. I mean, look, uh, the Grammys are amazing and the Billboard Awards and the, you know, there's a million awards, you know, the Oscars and all these things. There's a million awards shows um, that are for everything. But so many times as women, we don't get the chance to be with each other. I mean, I love being with guys. My whole band is guys. Most of the people I play with are, are men. I love hanging out with the guys. But wow, to have a night that it's all women and not just women, badass women, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's cool to see Linda Perry getting uh, an award next to Lizzie Hale getting an award next to, you know, me getting an award next to an incredible business person who created a guitar line for women getting an award. You know, they just uh, spend an entire night on women. And that just doesn't happen very often. And so it's super fun to be in that room. It's super inspiring. Um, I co-hosted it this past year with Lindsay Parker. Um, she has a, a show called, I believe it's Volume on Sirius XM. And she's, you know, an incredible powerhouse with big pink hair. But we had fun co-hosting it and just being there. I've been a performer in recent years. And, uh, and I actually got their Mad Skills Award um, probably five years ago or so now, but it, it's just awesome to have women recognized and be a part of it and become friends with each other. I think so much of, you know, we as women um, getting recognized and, and being respected comes from us. We have to show each other respect um, and, and be right with each other and be friends and help each other and be there for each other. So I, I think that's just the name of the game, you know. So it's basically a support group in a sense, everybody <laughs> sticking together and uh, doing their thing. Well, yeah, I mean, you know what? Yeah, it's just an event that celebrates women. So yeah, it is women celebrating each other. And boy, it just feels good, you know? It's just, uh, it's a, I always walk out after that night with a big smile on my face, just thinking all these women are so deserving. It's so fun to get together because we are all in our little worlds. You know, I'm off in my jazz or rock world. And then my other friends are, you know, off in their, you know, blues or songwriting world. And we don't get to hang all the time. And that happens with anyone, women, men, you know, any business, but it's just a fun night to hang and celebrate each other. And uh, I wish it happened once a week. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's interesting. I was looking through all the people that you've collaborated with and they're men. Maybe you should do a song with another woman. You know what? I am so with you. And uh, I've actually thought, wow, I could do a women's collaboration album, you know, and just, mm -hmm. and do duets and, and play with women. And, and it's funny, I just didn't know that many of them. You know, I can make a list of women that I'm so hugely a fan of, but all the collaborations that I've been a part of have literally come from being in the same room or playing in someone's band or just getting to know someone at a really, you know, kind of pedestrian level and just saying, Hey, would you want to write a song? Would you want to play? 
And, you know, from Joe Perry, from Aerosmith to Greg so, Allman. Greg you know. Allman, I couldn't believe it. I listened to that song. It was really good, too. I really Thank liked you. it. And I'm, uh, how did that come about? Uh, Greg Allman came about because we were playing the 60th birthday of Paul Allen. Uh, Paul Allen started Microsoft. He was one of the, the co-founders of Microsoft. Paul was turning 60 and he's a huge music fan. So he decided, uh, you know, um, he's got enough money to really do whatever he would like to. He's a music fan. He decided to hire a bunch of cool artists and just basically have this huge concert in New Orleans. Wow. So I was in the house band and I got to play for all these artists. I got to play for Chrissy Hind, Greg Allman, uh, Dr. John. Um, it was just a Joe Walsh. I mean, it was amazing. It was just a pinch me moment. But Greg and I, you know, sat backstage and I just looked at him and went, look, I'm, I'm about to make a record that I just, I, I see it as a career record. I had just gotten off the road with Aerosmith and I just said, I, I need help from my friends to, to bring all of me into a record. And, you know, I've, I've moonlighted with all these rock bands and, and blues bands, you know, from Aerosmith to Max Weinberg to Duran to, you know, all these different people. But I've never brought it back to my own career. And I, I want that more rootsy vibe i want some rock and roll in there i want that abandon of singing from the heart and i just said you are pure you are just soul i feel your soul when you sing would you be on this record and he just said sure darling but well, we should write something and I, I wasn't ready for that and so i went to his house for three days i stayed at his house and it was in Georgia? Yep, right outside of Savannah. And it was just the craziest three days. It was beautiful. He's a beautiful guy. You know, his girlfriend came in, his drug dealer came in. I mean, it was just a circus of crazy stories uh, in this, you know, real cool little place outside of Savannah. And we wrote this beautiful song, Just Say When. We recorded it in the back of a pharmacy down the street. I mean, anything <laughs> you just can't imagine. The qualities yeah. were good. Well, someone must have mastered it after. <laughs> but, but that's, you know, those things come about because uh, you're in a space that you get to know someone and, and you collaborate with them. And I want that to happen with women. I want to, you know, uh, I want to forge those relationships with women and I can just say, Hey, would you, would you be on, you know, this new record? So I want that as a, Hey, let's know, make a list. Maybe. <laughs> who do you want? <laughs> let's make a list. If you could have someone, who would you like to collaborate with? I don't... Well, I've already asked Linda Perry if she would write something with me. I'm such a fan of her and she's written so many hits for amazing women, you know, pink, and uh, Dolly Parton and, you know, just in incredible artist. She's an incredible artist herself. So um, one day I will, you know, make that happen. Um, Bonnie Raitt, I'm such a huge Bonnie Raitt fan. I just think she'd be amazing. Cheryl Crow, 
I'm a huge Cheryl Crow fan. Um, oh, Emmy Beth Harris. Beth Hart. Because I, I love Beth Hart. I love Beth too. Uh, her voice just, you feel her, don't you? Yes. I, I saw her in February in London when I was there. I photographed her. And uh, I just, I just love her. She's really down to earth. I mean, you can't get any more down to earth. <laughs> but no, I would, no, you're right. I would love to see you. I mean, because obviously you work with Joe Bonamassa and they work together all the time. Yeah. yeah it, that I, would be like super cool to have you guys, you know. I love her. And you were at the festival with me, my festival down in Punta Gorda that I had Larkin Poe. Yeah. And that would be, I, and I love them too. Yep. I, I love their energy. I love that they're heartfelt and that, you know, their sisters are coming at you with, with love and with energy and, and it's all good. They're such amazing role models. They sing from the heart. At, you know, I love those girls. I think they're so cool. So yeah, see, I mean, we're, we've got most of a record right there. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what I, that was one of my things I wanted to mention to you. Look, you've collaborated with a zillion men. You're all about female empowerment. Mindy, it's time for you to make an album with some women. <laughs> I, agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Your lips to God's ears and uh, let's, let's put it out there in the universe and yeah. see if we can make that happen. Yeah, I love that. it's time. And you know what I noticed about your career, too? You started out as a saxophonist, but then you got into, well, and obviously you're a songwriter, but you then got into singing. And like with Greg Allman, you're singing. You're not playing the sax. And I've yeah. seen you play at the piano, and I love it when you do just simple singing in the piano. Maybe you should do the piano more often, even. You know what? I, I love that you say that when the pandemic hit, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm at home with my husband yeah. and I'm like, wow, okay. I feel cut off from the entire world. And so that first week I went on and just said, Hey, you know, I'm going to do a Facebook live and I don't have anyone to play with me. So I'm going to play piano for you or I'm just going to play saxophone acapella and cool. And a bunch of people said what you said, like, "Well, we've never seen you play piano. Wow, you should, you should play more piano." And I remember I the song. You sang, a, you sang a new one that was a, a slow ballad on the piano, and I can't remember it, but it was gorgeous. So it must be something that you had written not long ago. I just wrote a song called "Where There's a Woman, There's a Way," and I think that's the one you're I, talking about. Yes. I wrote it on piano with my friend Jim Peterick, who's awesome rock, you know, rock star. He wrote Eye of the Tiger and, you know, Hold On Loosely and all those amazing songs. But I, I wrote this with him. And so, you know, I'm home. I'm just playing it on piano. We just recorded it in March. Uh, and and it, it was just before the pandemic hit. And so, you know, it's in my brain and you know, we had this huge string section come in and it's this, you know, kind of soaring anthem about, you know, where there's a woman, there's a way. We make things happen. We are this powerhouse, you know, these powerhouses, our mothers, us, you know, we, we're here. We need to pass that down and carry the torch. And so, yeah, I sat at my piano and, and played where there's a woman, there's a way because no one had heard it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had recorded it in the studio and 
it's so hard to keep new music in. So I got to play more piano and, and uh, I, I take that as a challenge. I'm not a great piano player, but I love to play and it's a, you know, a different way to kind of express myself as an artist too. Actually, I, you know, I was listening, I love your new song forever. I want to talk about that. I wonder, do you write on the piano first or do you actually write the songs on the saxophone? Because the melodies are, are very similar to, like I could see it being played on the piano. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it depends on the song. You know, I write songs different ways. Um, and it, it just depends. You know, I can be in my car and be kind of singing a melody and I'll come back and figure out what it is on piano. You know, and I'll, I'll write it down from the piano. That'll be my, my source, you know. But I, I'll just hear things in my head and, and either figure them out on, on sax or, and then figure out the chords on piano. Um, but there are times I'm just sitting at a piano and just, you know, come up with things there. And, you know, it's a, it's a great source of inspiration to just be able to play a few chords and, and let it, you know, uh, let it kind of drive you. Uh, did you learn to play the piano before the sax or after? Uh, actually, when I, when we first moved to Florida after we were on the road, I was about five years old and I started piano lessons then. I think my parents were, were super tired of me uh, just beating on the piano that was in the house. <laughs> so they figured, you know, let's give her lessons and, and uh, let it make a little bit of sense instead of, instead of be this just, you know, beating on a piano. So I started piano lessons when I was five and I, I probably took for seven or eight years, um, you know, lessons, which were classical lessons. Um, but boy, once I found saxophone when I was eight, it just all became about the saxophone. So the piano kind of, you know, kind of took it this back seat of something that allowed me to write music and allowed me to, to play. Um, but saxophone kind of took that front seat. And I would always sing, and I love that you mentioned that. I would always sing, um, but it, it's taken kind of turns in my career. My very first record I put out when, uh, when I was on the road with the Backstreet Boys as their keyboardist and sax player uh, and percussionist. And I, I had all these songs, they were all vocal songs. Uh, and there were no saxophone centric songs. And I recorded a whole record, Always and Never the Same, that I released as an indie artist. And it wasn't until uh, probably 2001 that the A&R guy from Verve Records, Bud Harner came in and went, you know, would you make an instrumental record for Verve Records? That would be really cool to hear you as a saxophonist. He's like, you can still sing. Um, but I, I think people would really relate to you as a saxophonist. You're so emotive and it, it's such an extension of yourself as a different voice. And I took him up on it. I thought it was an amazing idea. I wanted to expand more and grow as a saxophonist and you know what? It, that was the start of when my career just really started to take off was signing with Verve Records. So, you know, throughout my career now, different records are, you know, half and half vocal to instrumental or a couple vocals over here and more instrumental. You never know. I, I kind of go with how I'm feeling. It's a snapshot of my life at that point. Well, with the Bone Shakers, you do a lot of singing and... Yeah. You do saxophone playing at the same time. I'm thinking, how could she be out of breath? You know, she's singing and then jumping to the sax, and then I don't know how you do it. But 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, certain songs, yeah, you do go back and forth pretty, pretty often. Pretty Good for a Girl is exactly that. It's a lot of sax playing, but, you know, it's a vocal song. I wrote that song, you know, uh, I wrote the lyrics, just me, and I brought it to Randy Jacobs from the Bone Shakers, and I just said, all right, here's my little tongue-in-cheek you know, you've seen everyone come up after shows and shake my hand and go, wow, wow, you're pretty good for a girl. And, uh, <laughs> and so he laughed and he's like, okay, we got to write this song. You're totally right. This is, this is your song to write. And so bringing it to Randy and the guys, it became this anthem, you know, it became this just total, you know, in your face, huge anthem. Then we broke, brought Joe Bonamassa in to play on it and it, it you know, it grew from this three and a half minute tongue in cheek anthem <laughs> to, you know, seven and a half minute, uh, just extravaganza. Um, so that was, uh, that was a fun thing to kind of sing a song and have it be that meaningful, but then just rip into a sax solos immediately. So yeah, sometimes it is good to be able to go back and forth quickly. <laughs> that yeah, song takes hard. I mean, and you're, how heavy is the sax anyway, pound wise? Because you're you're petite. I mean, you're you're having to carry that thing around. <laughs> you know, I think it's about the same as a guitar, but you know, just like a guitar, uh, they have straps, guitar yeah. players, and I've got a strap as well. You have a, a you know a saxophone strap that goes around your neck that that kind of takes the you know the bulk of it off. So um, you know, you're not playing with that thing all day. I don't know. I'm guessing it's probably six, seven pounds. I, I've never weighed it. That's going to be. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot, right? <laughs> Hanging on you. I just wondered. Yeah, and you're dancing at the same time and you're wearing like five inch heels. So <laughs> workout. Some people actually, you know, do yoga or jog or, uh, you know, do that kind of stuff. No, I play saxophone. <laughs> that's my workout. <laughs> Well, and, and I noticed lately on your live streams, you've been playing, is it like a synthesizer sax or some kind of new sax that was given to you to try out? Yeah, Yamaha sent me this digital saxophone. And it looks like a soprano saxophone, except it's black and kind of, you know, it looks a little Darth Vader-ish. It's pretty cool. And it's digital. There's a, an app on my phone that, uh, you know, that kind of clicks into it and you can do anything on it. It's really, it's really been fun. And Yamaha sent it to me just to try out and, you know, what do you think of it? You know, really as a prototype and now they're putting it out, it's coming out in November. So it's, it's become this, this real thing, but I've just been playing around with it. And obviously we've all, you know, been a part of a pandemic. We've all been stuck in our houses, you know, all of us that tour for a living, it's, uh, it's a different year. You can't be on tour this year. So I'm, I'm in my house playing my little digital saxophone and my real saxophone that's a lot louder and, you know, just kind of having fun with all of it, staying inspired. Uh, the digital one, I guess you can hook it up to an amp and play through an amp. Uh, just you can hook it up to I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> I hadn't either. That's why, you know, it's not a toy. Uh, it's, it's a real amazing instrument, but I just had fun with it like it was my new toy. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it actually has a speaker built into it that, you know, creates the sound. Um, but you can, you know, plug it into anything and you can, 
you know, run it through speakers. You can do whatever with it. It's got ins and outs, but uh, it's, it's pretty fun. And you can have a, you know, sound of a flute or you can have the sound of a saxophone or, you know, you can have anything like that. It's oh, pretty wow. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so that, yeah, that's, that's pretty wild. Uh, so are they gearing it towards professionals or can students play it too? Or just out of curiosity. I actually think that they're billing it, you know, that, that they're, they're creating it more for students or, you know, maybe someone that's, you know, older that has always wanted to play a sax, but, you know, it's a little daunting. You got to get the embouchure and you've got to get the read right and you've got to get the, the airflow right. With this, all of that is superfluous. You know, if you have the fingerings, you can make music. You don't need to have, you know, you don't need to have the right embouchure. Your read doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, for us saxophone players, we know that that's kind of a, a big deal. And, you know, uh, it's, it, it makes it easier to learn. So I really think they're going after that kind of consumer field that, you know, isn't professionals, but it's people who love to make music and it's just a fun instrument to make music on. Yeah, that's right. I mean, as far as like breath control and all that, you wouldn't have to do that necessarily. No. Maybe it's a good starter instrument even before someone goes to the uh, acoustic version. I think so. You know, I mean, it's the same fingerings, it's the same approach, it's the same feel, but you definitely have probably what is the biggest hang up of people, you know, becoming saxophone players. It's that embouchure, it's that mouthpiece and read. You're dealing with a piece of wood that, you know, isn't gonna react well every day. And it's, it's a game we saxophonists play that isn't sexy. <laughs> and that stops more people in their tracks from learning saxophone than, uh, you know, we care to admit. So uh, I think it's a really cool instrument for just someone to pick up that has always wanted to learn saxophone. And it takes that, you know, takes that away and just lets you play. And it, it's very freeing. So I don't know, we'll see how it does on the market, but I think it's exciting. And I've had a lot of fun just, you know, being inspired by the different sounds and, you know, you can sit out in your backyard. No one's going to yell at you. You're just playing. It can be any level. You know. I can be a baritone sax or I can be a synthesizer and, you know, it's pretty cool. It gives you a lot of options there for being creative. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect pandemic toy. I know, I, you know, yeah. not held back by, uh, by anything. You just kind of have fun with it. But yeah, I think we all need, you know, things to keep us occupied and engaged during the pandemic. <laughs> well, um, the song Forever, you wrote that, you recorded in March, so obviously that was before the pandemic. I absolutely love that song. It's, it's danceable too. I mean, it's kind of rocking and then you have this pause in the middle and then it goes back into the whole melody and the chorus again. And you, you've you. got the B3 going on. And I mean, it's- Oh yeah. What, did you start one day playing around with the sax and came up with the melody? What, what kind of got you inspired to do forever? You know, that melody has been in my head for a really long time. And um, I got together with a couple of friends to kind of just make it, you know, create a song around it. So my friend Tyrone Stevens, uh, I've written with, oh my gosh, I think we've got songs together on every one of my albums. 
So we've written together for a lifetime. And my friend Wayne Rodriguez, we have songs on a lot of my records, but they're both just, you know, close friends. And uh, this melody did expand and did kind of grow in and have this life of its own. And it was fun to create this song. You know, I've been writing and, and kind of coming up with all these ideas as I've been in Mindy A. Bear and the Bone Shakers. And yeah, I've been in this band setting for now four records. And I had all these songs piling up that I had written and, you know, they weren't right for the Bone Shakers. That was, you know, a group of, you know, it was total energy and abandon and, you know, rock and roll and blues. But these songs were more personal and they were, you know, they, they were a little touchy feelier. And so I, I felt like, wow, I, I've got to go back to me. I've got to go back to being a solo artist and record all these songs that I have in my head and that I, I've been, you know, uh, kind of holding on to and not recording. So March was a perfect time. Uh, you know, the first week in March, I got together and brought my friends together. And uh, it was some of the guys from my normal band, Rodney Lee, that, you know, has played with me for almost 20 years now as my keyboardist. Abel Boreal Jr. came in. We were such good friends in college and we've remained uh, such close friends, but you know, he's Rocky only- is with... phenomenal. I was watching him in the yeah. video. It's like, holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's spent the last 20 years with Paul McCartney. So he's a little hard to get, you know, <laughs> you get him when you can. And, uh, and Sean Hurley came in to play bass. He's usually with uh, John Mayer. And it was, you know, it was pretty cool. Tim Pierce played guitar. Uh, not a lot of people know his name, but Tim Pierce is kind of the He's guitar. a studio guy, right? He's a, yeah. a session musician. Yeah. Yep. He's the guy, like the Goo Goo Dolls, Iris. He's okay. all the mandolin on that and that cool slide guitar solo. And he's done everything from Bon Jovi to, yeah, Goo Goo Dolls to every record. I mean, this guy is just on thousands of records. His YouTube page is the coolest thing you've ever seen in your life because he breaks down what he plays on these records and it's just super cool. Um, but we went in the studio and you know what? We just made a record and we had fun and all these songs that I had been kind of holding on to and that weren't right for what I was in were all of a sudden right. And we, you know, we, created this sound for them and it was just super fun and forever became the title track and so I didn't release the record this year this year is such an odd year and I want to wait till I can tour to uh to really you know put out the record and be able to tour with it and support it like it should be supported but I wanted to put out music so I I put out forever I couldn't wait <laughs> And as we speak, it is time to do it in the sure. car and uh, just, yeah, because I have YouTube music in the car and just, just, it, there's just something about that song. It's just, it's uplifting. It's happy. It's danceable. And it's, it sounds like you guys have great chemistry together. Like you are having fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I can sure. feel it when just like by listening to it and everything. I love that. And I, I always feel that if you put the right people in a room to make music together, 
that's going to translate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've learned through the years, make music with people you love, and, you know, and it, it's going to be honest and it's going to come across that way. And it's, it's going to have that, that spirit of who the people are that created it. And uh, being in a room with those guys, it was just so much fun. So it was great. We actually mixed it, you know, during the pandemic. I w- went in and put my mask on and sat about 15 feet back from the board. And, you know, we mixed it. And it's a, it's a different way to make a record. But you know what? We got in before the world shut down. And we were the last project that any of us did. I mean, the world shut down just right as we were finishing our our uh tracks and so we all just looked at each other and went okay i don't know when the next time i'll see you is be safe and you know there it is the world shut down so it's good to make music i was curious about the video um it was filmed and you guys are performing did did you put the music in after or is that actually the singing you know, I, don't, I always wonder, how do they do it with the music videos? Do they dub it after with the lips, you know, lip syncing or I don't know. No, the, the video that we made was recorded as we were recording the track in the oh, studio. Wow. So I had my friend come in and video the sessions. The real, I, real session. Okay. The real sessions. Yeah. So I always feel like you want someone in there you know, taking stock of it and, and you've got it for, for history's sake. You've got those sessions, you've got how they went down. And it's, it's just nice to look back to and, you know, have that uh, kind of for, for history's sake. So yeah, that was the video that you saw was the making of, that was the recording of the track. And, and everybody's laughing and having a good time. And, and you feel that when you listen to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah feel that I mean it's it's you know I I, I really like it a lot thank <laughs> you I do and and it's almost I can I can almost hear lyrics to it too because the melody is so good I wonder <laughs> if in the future if you ever would make it into a song I might you know there are a lot of instrumentals that I have that I've you know recorded through the years that do have lyrics yeah. that I have written lyrics oh. to, whether before or after. There's a song called Amazing Game that's on my Wild Heart record that has lyrics. Uh-huh. Um, there's a song called Alive that we recorded in in uh, March that has lyrics, but I recorded it as an instrumental. So I, I really think sax is just a different voice and it's it's fun to kind of use that voice in instead of my voice sometimes. I think it it can be stronger for, for different songs, you know? Lyrics have their own power, but sometimes just a sound and a, and a feeling is is stronger. Yeah, listening to your songs that you have written with lyrics, they all seem autobiographical. I think you write about what you know about, yeah. you know? But even the one with Greg Allman, it's, it's, it seems, I don't know, it just, it seems real. The stuff that you write about is authentic. I guess that's oh. what Thank you for saying that. But yeah, definitely the song I wrote with Greg Allman, you know, he's singing about like, he's traveled so many miles and here and there and you know, yeah. Yeah, it was all very autobiographical from both of our sides mm-hmm. singing that as a duet. Yeah. We, we wanted it to be us, you know, it was, mm-hmm. we wrote the song, we were singing it. Um, 
and you know, I, I think it really definitely mirrored who we were and, uh, and made for a, a, you know, a personal song. It wasn't like, oh, let's write a song for some other artist. What do you want to write about? <laughs> no, I'm not great at that. Now, this year, COVID, you've been doing um, your live streaming and everything. I know nobody knows what's going to happen with the world. What are, do you have any kind of plans or let's say for 2021, what do you envision yourself doing? You know, so many of the shows that canceled for this year, um, you know, rescheduled for next year. We're, we were supposed to do the Tampa Bay Blues Festival, which I was so excited to do this year. Um, it did not happen, but it is rescheduled. For I saw April. I saw April. I want to be there. <laughs> you better be there. So, you know, all we can hope is that the world heals a bit and that you know, hopefully we can control this this disease and that we can all stay healthy and and figure out a way to you know come back to making music and you know throughout this year look we've all been home every musician i know that tours like i do for a living we've all been home and uh so it's been a, a rough year for musicians and artists yeah and so we can just hope that 2021 opens up and it, it becomes something. I have a huge tour schedule right now uh, for 2021, and I've got my fingers crossed that it all happens. You know, I mean, my wine company that I have with my husband, Reserve Tastings, we are doing adventures. We call them adventures because they are. We're going to Sonoma, California for this wine and music adventure where I'm going to play every night and my husband's a wine guy, so he's going to take us around to all the, you know, super cool wineries and eat and drink and have fun. And we're going to do the same thing in Tuscany in the fall of 2021 and just, you know, eat great food and pasta and cheese and drink great wine and play music. But all of this is dependent on can we get a handle on this disease and can we, can we be safe? So fingers crossed. I wear my mask everywhere and I am being safe because I want to go back and play. <laughs> your lungs, your health is your instrument. Your singing, your sax. I mean, it is critical when you're a musician and that's what you do. Yeah. You know, no, I'm not playing any, around with this. Even freaking colds. I mean, really, that, that blows, you know, everything. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm not playing around with this. I'm being safe in... You know, we've been doing concerts on my back porch every Tuesday just to keep, you know, to keep this going. I mean, it started, you, you were talking about me playing piano and stuff, you know, just in my living room. But it's, it's come now to where, okay, they say that being outside is safer than being inside. And I live in Los Angeles, so I can actually have a friend over to play with me now. I'm like, whoa, okay. So I'll, you know, socially distance on my back porch and, you know, be six feet away from someone and we'll make music together. And that's been the most amazing thing just to stay connected. It reminds me that I'm a performer and it keeps me connected to the people I love, whether it's my friends, my family, fans that have come to every show. So it's, it's been this really cool way to kind of stay connected and, and stay making music in this, you know, odd environment. Speaking of uh, industry, 
we're going to kind of close out, but I saw you're involved with Music Cares. Yeah. That helps, that helps musicians, and Lord knows this year a lot of musicians need help because you all are independent contractors. You yes. Know, you're not working for a company per se. You're working for yourself and health insurance and benefits. And I mean, a lot of people... I uh, interviewed last week a, a female sound engineer, and the industry isn't just musicians. We're talking yeah. everybody from security guards to people that make merch to um, venues. There's a, a lot of people that are affected by this COVID. And what does Music Cares yeah. do exactly for musicians? You know, it's interesting. I don't think a lot of people know what Music Cares is. They know the company that's behind it, the Recording Academy, uh, you know, the company that puts on the Grammys. But the Recording Academy, you know, people know from that one night of them giving out awards. But what they do all year is incredible. The charities that have come from the Recording Academy are just monumental. Music Cares is... Uh, a charity that is from the Recording Academy and they raise millions of dollars a year and they put it towards people who create music. And you said it so eloquently. I mean, all these people that are musicians, that play instruments, that tour, that write songs, we are self-employed. We don't have 401ks. We don't have group insurance plans. None of that is provided for us. There is no you know, safety net for musicians and people who create art and music. Mm -hmm. So to have an organization like the Grammys, like the Recording Academy that creates this safety net is amazing. And I have, you know, I have referred friends um, over the years who, you know, have something awful go wrong, whether, you know, it's, it's some terrible thing like cancer or they need a kidney transplant or, you know, something happens that you can't support your family because you're going through this awful health crisis. Uh, whether you have insurance or not, sometimes it's, it's debilitating. Um, and they are that safety net for the music community. And it's incredible. So I've always tried to support in any way I can, whether it's playing for them, whether it's just getting the word out. Um, the last thing that we did, we just released a wine this past week because we've got a wine and music company. And so we released a very special wine. That's this incredible high end St. Helena Cabernet and the proceeds are going to music cares and it's awesome. It's sold out within a day and a half, this offering. And so it's great. It makes me feel great that music cares gets this money and, and that it goes to an amazing cause and people get to drink more wine which we all are drinking more wine during the pandemic. <laughs> I, was, I was wondering about that, even though like the restaurants have been limited or hotels, everybody, all my girlfriends, that's the first thing they stocked up on during the pandemic oh, yeah. was wine. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, look, we started our, our wine company, Reserve Tastings, a little over a year ago. And, you know, pre-pandemic, and we were just like, you know what? I've spent my life making music. My husband has spent his life as an executive in the wine industry. So let's do what we love, right? Mm -hmm. Let's do what we love, but be together more and do it together. So he finds amazing wines, and then I put playlists to them. I find amazing artwork or create the artwork. 
that's all music centric. And each wine has this playlist that pairs specifically to the wine. So we've had so much fun doing it, but boy, the pandemic hit, we were supposed to be on the road. We were supposed to be out with a bunch of people every week, you know, doing wine tastings before the shows. It all came to a, a halt. But as you say, everyone wants to drink. And so all really our wine up. business has gone through the roof this year. And it's, it's been so fun to kind of bond with people on a different level. You know, it's, it's not just music. Now it's, what are you drinking? And I'm going to play you some music. <laughs> <laughs> so it's fun to, to kind of give people uh, a variety of things, you know, wine and music that they can uh, sink their teeth into and hopefully we can all stay happy together. <laughs> Great escapism. <laughs> I know. I know. That Netflix. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. We've seen everything on Netflix. Oh my God. <laughs> That's all we've, all we've been doing. Now, yeah. I, I love seeing you guys, the dynamic duo, do your live stream every Tuesday. People, she does it at, it's eight o'clock, I think, Eastern time, I believe. Yeah. It? Yeah. 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern time. We, we go live and, and there's music and there's wine. With her husband, Eric, sometimes he picks up the guitar. I was impressed when you did the ukulele one day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. He actually uh, retired the uh, ukulele. I mean, he was a guy who played guitar like in college to get girls, you know. But once, you know, we, once we got to a space where we could have someone else on the back porch, um, then he was like, okay, I've retired. I'm not a real musician. I'm a wine guy. So have okay, it. So people. I thought he did a good job, he right? He held his own, actually. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I'm going back to my regular job. You can be with your friends now that play music. I was like, okay, fine. Just bring us wine. It's good. Yeah, that's so funny. Um, anything you'd like to tell people be before we go? No, I just, this has been so fun to sit and talk with you and you know, like you said, it's like we, we have to we have to spend time with our girlfriends and we have to, you know, create those bonds and uh, and make it special, whether we're making music or whether we're just being friends or whether we're, uh, you know, supporting each other or just having a good time drinking some wine. So it's just nice to spend some time with you and and uh, be on your podcast. It's cool. Thank you so much. You're listening to Rock at Night. The introductory song, Get On Down, is from blues artist Billy, Billy Bass Alford. Look for his music at ReverbNation.com.